relax. It's all in bad taste. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Aftertaste, the Bad Taste Buds after show where we continue to talk about our favorite best worst movies. I am your host, Liam, and today I have one question and one question only. What's in the box? <laughs> Thank you, Hannah, for humoring me. Film. Yeah, today we are continuing... The film Seven. The seven's great. No, don't I meant even the box. Start. Okay, but that that was a quote from the film Seven. Yeah, well, then don't direct it at me. I'm not going to know where a quote comes today from. Today we are covering the awful David Fincher film Seven. No, we're not. Uh, today we are continuing to discuss the brief but fascinating career of Richard Kelly by discussing his debut film, the iconic cult classic Donnie Darko, and the much maligned, uh, rightfully so, based on our reaction to it. Forgotten final film, The Box. Sorry, joining me as always, we have our very own Jack in The Box. I'm going to refer to him as R. Kelly for the entire podcast. R. Kelly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And following him, we have Hannah, who is rightfully quite pissed off at The the Box. I think you kind of came in with the most vitriol. We'll get to that soon. (laughs) And last but not least, we have the ever-beautiful Ryan Sheen. Hi. Hi. How are we all feeling, guys? Anything new with us? Are we just kind of ready to talk about how fucking pissed off we are at these movies? Well, all of these movies. Well, I was about to say, because out of the three, there's only one that was a flop, really. Like, well... I mean... (laughs) Relative. Relative. Yeah. Critically, two out of three were flops, and one of them was a belter. But, you know, it's subjective, isn't it? If you're just talking about enjoyability... Well, that's it, isn't it? Like, we enjoyed South and Tales, but technically that was a major flop. That was the one that I think was responsible for the box, and I, I know my biggest takeaway from watching the box again, like, when I say watching the box, me and Ryan tried to watch it last night and then <laughs> gave up about 40 minutes in because it's just fucking intolerable. It feels to me like a studio mandate film from a director who was let loose, clearly, let off the rails with his last film, given free reign, and then they were like, well, that didn't work, now you've got to make something to our specifications, and that's why it's just meandering and kind of pointless. Before we do go into the film, guys, do you want me to give a quick synopsis as to actually what the box is? No. Just no. <laughs> just no. We watched it yesterday. I don't it's, still, it's still fresh. I think it's probably best we start with the box, because at least we can end on something nice with Donnie yeah. Darko, because we yeah. are going to talk about the box and Donnie Darko. So we'll start with the box. The box basic plot is a couple uh, living in the 60s. They receive an ominous box on their doorstep one day without any real rhyme or reason. Uh, The following day they get a visit from a mysterious man who explains to them that if they press the button that's on top of the box, two things will happen. Now, first, somebody somewhere who they don't know will die. Secondly, they receive a payment of one million dollars. Which, in the 60s, how much would have Shitloads. A fuck ton. Yeah, like, like I know a yeah. million dollars now is a lot of money, but in the 60s, like... like a house, I, I don't know, I don't live in Ooh, America. It was 76. I, was it 76, was it? I thought it was the 60s. No. Mind you, right, the okay. wallpaper was still, very 70s. It's still very... It's, it's still a massive oh, amount of money. it's a huge amount of money. Are you sure 1976 isn't the year the Twilight Zone episode came out, which was the fucking same premise? Nope. Was that 86? Was that 86? The opening credit, uh, the opening screen says 1976. Fair enough. No. <laughs> oh, all three of us missed that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting twisted because the Twilight Zone episode with the exact same premise is 1986. Yeah, I will point out immediately that the Twilight Zone episode is 20 minutes long, which is the best part of this movie yeah. as well. So go watch that. It's called button, with button, this. button. It's not called The Box. If you're looking for it, it's, it's on YouTube, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, it's on yeah. YouTube. It's called Button, Button. It's 20 minutes long, and it's fucking, it's really good. It's Because it, as a premise, it's interesting. I do want to ask, who here would press the button? 
Mm. No. Actually, do you know what? So we, we were thinking about this and he did exactly what we would have done and that's opened up the box yeah, because check. there was no stipulation to say you couldn't dismantle it. And oh, once you'd, yeah. once you'd taken it to bits <laughs> and you realised that it was just an empty wooden box, I think there would be a part of you that wanted to, but I just think the overbearing someone might die somewhere. You don't know how that's going to happen. You don't know if it like tricks something off and when he comes, he just shoots somebody on his way out. Like, Oh, the death thing is not the deciding factor for me. It is, I'm wary of all things like this now. I've seen <laughs> now. horror movies to know never to do anything that is even remotely risky or cryptic or mysterious. Just avoid it. Especially when the guy who's delivered the box has half of his face ripped oh, off. Oh, like, 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 it's Frank Langella. This is the thing. Nice. He's, he's the best part of the film, Frank Langella. No, no, as an no, actor, he was, he's wonderful. He like, was great. His performance is great. And actually, in the film, he was. He was a decent guy. But still, if an ominous box just turned up on your door, someone said, oh, it's going to kill someone in the world. And he had like a... Sc- like, I just, I, you just wouldn't, would Why you? Would you bomb scare if you did it now? I did turn around at one point and I was like, who... Because I feel like I would press the button just as a fucking laugh and just be like, <laughs> well, this is bullshit. And just press it and keep well, pressing it and Richard press it and Kelly, press it and press it. According to Richard Kelly, you have to have a vagina to hit the box. So We'll get to your yeah. gripes, your specific gripes in a bit. But before we do, I do want to mention a few more things about the film. Obviously, it came out in 2009. It is a psychological thriller directed by Richard Kelly, making a, oh, sorry, made on a $30 million budget and only grossing worldwide 33, which doesn't sound, it technically made a bit of money, so but profit, one, yeah. once you factor in advertising, which I think you've got to add at like 5 million on top of it for advertising, it didn't do great. And it did kind of hold his career dead in the water and he's not really been seen of or heard from in a long time so psychological thriller it's psychological because it hurt my brain <laughs> it's like psychological is the word but uh <laughs> thriller i was not thrilled watching this no um although i did read somewhere that his parents were like the kind of basis for the parents characters yeah that. his mum had an accident on an x-ray machine and had a disfigurement on her foot did his dad work for NASA? Yeah, and um, he helped build the camera. So. He helped build the camera, similar to uh, the... What's his name? I can't even remember the camera. Well, I watched, the, the, I watched, it, the I watched it last night and I can't give... I, I can't remember and I'm not, I don't care enough to Google the character names. I'm just going to refer to them as the mum and the dad in this Well, story. just because it's Frank Langella. Little, little of a sh- no, don't remind me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prove a point about how little of shit I give about this film. Don't correct me. <laughs> no, but Richard Kelly's father... Um, he worked for NASA on the Mars Viking lander program in the 70s and he was developing the camera that made the first pictures from the Mars service. So, so that's exactly cool. what the, the the dad or the husband figure in this film was, was doing. So you're, so you're bringing me information that is countering to what I thought because this, for me, doesn't feel like a Richard Kelly film. This feels like someone aping Richard Kelly's style, like someone who saw Donnie Darko and was like, I can do something like that. Something to, akin to something like the butterfly effect, maybe. It just feels like I'm going to be weird for no reason. I'm going to be trippy for no reason. I'm going to have all this weird symbolism that doesn't go anywhere. Um, but now that you're kind of telling me that there was a bunch of references to his past life and his, his family, and it does kind of feel like it was more of a passion project than I thought it was originally. Well, he has come out and said that he, he never wanted to make a film that was impersonal. And there's clearly a lot of stuff in this film that is very personal to him. Mm. I just don't know... I don't know how he went so wrong because it could have gone so right. It's a really interesting premise. It is. It's but I feel like just... we need to stop defending this film. Yeah, <laughs> it might be personal. We'll explain the premise, him, but it's not personable. We'll to explain the, the premise. Get a million quid. You press a button, someone dies. That's it, right? Yeah. So the first half an hour is them like, oh, should we press the button? Oh, the backstory of the characters and the families, and then the last ten minutes is like the consequences of them pressing the button, and the the rest of the film is completely fucking irrelevant. Yeah, it's like they've taken that 
premise and try to make a ooh a, like a creepy context. How did it happen? Was it aliens? Was it God? Oh, is it a pur- are we in purgatory? Is this like Judgment Day? Are these aliens here to like destroy humanity? If we're done, like there's so many like kind of leads and threads yeah. where it's trying to do the Richard Kelly. Ooh, what's going on here? Six ooh. plot lines going on at once, uh, yeah. and it's just so fucking boring, and it doesn't go anywhere, and you never get any answers. And I'm okay with not getting the answers because you didn't mm-hmm. get them in Donnie Darko, and that's still a fantastic film. I yeah. don't need it to be spelled out to me to be. A, an enjoyable film but at the same time it's just fucking irrelevant that's the problem and I think you need to, sorry Ryan with Donnie Darko you have to use your brain and actually think about it you can enjoy it and then you can put a lot of time into work now what you've just seen with this this although it tries to be mysterious and metaphysical etc it just is a flop nothing surprised me everything you could see coming for example the nosebleeds mm. everyone's mm-hmm. having nosebleeds and about What's what, with the three three? signs? There's nosebleeds that they because again, Kelly does these weird things where there's like a lot of symbolism that leads to nothing. The nosebleeds, the peace signs. But no, it, it wasn't, wasn't the peace sign. It was going for the middle door. I must have turned it off. It was going for the middle door because that wasn't the one you had to go that between. Was no, between I get the that. Doors. There, was still, there was still people doing it after he picked the middle door, though, right? There was still like, there was a Santa because the Santa comes after that, and the Santa, the Santa wasn't doing the peace signs. Santa was just ringing a bell because there was another one. There was the Santa. There was the nosebleeds for anyone who's been working for. So the the main alien guy can't crack the frontal lobe or something. So they're still aware that they're being brainwashed as they're doing it, and that's what's causing the nosebleeds. That's why some of them remember so being yeah, brainwashed. Anyone with a nosebleed yeah. is in league with the aliens, and I figured that out. Ten characters before the James Marsden and uh, Cameron Diaz figured it out. It's like, come on, how do you not see this coming as an audience? Do you think we're not already ten steps ahead of where you are? Well, I think everyone has really hit the nail on the head. The problem is. It's weird for the sake of being weird. Whereas at least Southern Tales, which is extremely trippy, which is extremely weird, it all lends to its the the wider universe that it's created. It all fits within the universe it's created. But this is just the 1970s suburban America. So having all this weird random shit for, forced in there for no reason. Donnie Darko is weird, but Donnie Darko still feels like a realistic, down-to-earth science fiction. And cohesive. Cohesive, yeah. Mm-hmm. The narrative, that, like, uh, it spends plenty of time with its characters. It spends it spends plenty of time. I don't give a shit about any of these people. Like, at yeah. the end, there's, there's all these stakes with the kid being blind and deaf and ha- the, the husband trying to kill the wife. And I was like, yeah, shoot it. Do I don't it. care. Do I it. I don't <laughs> think it's even necessarily acted that well okay, unless so it was a, a it was a good cast a purposeful a, direction yeah. or something Frank Langella is fantastic as as the mysterious uh, I can't remember is it James Stewart or something is the character's name it's it's Stewart like yeah right. um, he was the highlight of the film to be James fair James Marsden is, is brilliant and Cameron Diaz is also in the film she I don't think Cameron Diaz was, was she was the left down like, she's, she's there she's there doing something oh the, that southern accent <laughs> she just says like Blanche Dubois to someone you don't know. Yeah. That's where the, that's, credits. That's where the Twilight Zone mm-hmm. ends. That's where yeah. the episode of the Twilight Zone ends. And it's a really good ending. Like, that's a fantastic... There's lots of moral implications left up in the air that you have to dwell about. And it's it's quite a scary... Um, a scary concept to have to grasp, I think. I know, it invites discussion. Yeah. And that's the problem. About 30 minutes in, the twist comes. That is the perfect place to end this film. The fact that it still has an hour and a half left <laughs> is just the most monotonous 
drivel. And you're right, I shouldn't be bored watching a Richard Kelly film. Like, you say what you want about Southland Tales, it's three hours long, but I was never bored. I think nah. I think you can get satisfaction out of the first 20 minutes if you are able to figure out that the next person who pushes the button is going to kill you, like the, mm. the original story. That's that's pretty interesting, because if you do get it beforehand, you're going to be very pleased with yourself. You lose a lot of the mystique the as well, I think, with that. Like, the, the actual... the the, the the, the tension comes from that. Is she going to push the button? Because they go to see the last person who got yeah. pressed the button, don't they? And they investigate. No, but this is it. Brain. Like in a twenty-minute short, the tension comes from: Is she going to? Is the, is the, uh, is the family going to press the button? In a two-hour movie, we know she's going to press the button. <laughs> we wouldn't be going to a film about a woman pressing a button to kill someone if we didn't know she was going to press. So there's no tension. They do this big build-up to the button being pressed, and we're like, yeah, we get it. We know you're going to press the fucking button. <laughs> But what happens, right, if the if the next woman what if she didn't push the button? Would Cameron Diaz not have had to die? Yeah, That's what they already know yeah. this. No, it's the last person who pressed the button. So if the next person doesn't press it, when the next person does, you'll still die. Because you'll be the last person to press it. Yeah. You just get longer to live, essentially. It has nothing to say, I and think. Because the, the aliens are like takeaway. all powerful and all knowing, it would be perfectly set up so you wouldn't have to die until that point. Because See, this is what I know everything and nothing. The the more I know about this film, the more just (laughs) you can tell it's a short story as well. Like even the Richard Matheson book that it's based off is a short story. It's not a full novel. Yeah, it's on Playboy. I I think it was published in Playboy originally, and then I think it got its own release afterwards. I've got a copy of the box and several short stories, and it's wonderful. Like Richard Matheson is one of the one of my all-time favorite authors. uh, Author of I Am Legend, he is a sci-fi legend in the community. It's just been hobbited, hasn't it? What I'm going to refer Pretty much. To, what I'm going to refer <laughs> to as, where you take a nice, short, compact story and try and mm-hmm. stretch it so thin and try and get as much life out of it as possible, whether that's a two-hour film or fucking three, two-and-a-half-hour films yeah. or whatever, where you take a good, compact, well-produced little story and just spread it so thin that it's barely recognisable. Because it drags. It's, that's mm-hmm. its, oh, biggest, yeah. its biggest sin is being boring and its biggest sin is dragging. And it's a brilliant concept. It is like as a short story and as a twenty-minute episode of a TV show. It's it's a fantastic concept. And the themes that it deals with, that theme of fate and that deal of there are always consequences, regardless of what you do. There are interesting themes in a boring movie. It's mm-hmm. it's. I wonder if a different director, if if this wasn't from the director of two films that I absolutely adored, two really interesting, uh, ambitious films, because Donnie Darko and Southland Tales are both extraordinarily ambitious, and this to me feels like a paycheck. This, to me, feels like, right, we, we've got this cool science fiction story, Which do something weird, with it. because it feels kind of contradictory in that he's more after his parents and it is so closely resembling yeah. their but, but, life. But, but, but Kelly's written, like, his signature style, like, the, the the really sharp dialogue that you see in Southland Tales, the blending, seamless blending of music and kind of non-diegetic and diegetic music. I mean, Jack, you were saying, wasn't the soundtrack to this Arcade Fire, right? Apparently, yeah, there was a Pink Floyd song chucked in there yeah, as well at one was. point, but it didn't feel like it was used as part of, it was just sort of dressing wasn't it wrong mm-hmm. yeah. I just didn't notice the sound I, don't, yeah. I could not tell you one scene that had music in that I remember I couldn't, yeah, yeah. Like whereas in. if you looked at Southland Tales or Donnie Darko the music sort of stitched all the scenes mm-hmm. together it really did weave the story along with I mean well the killer scene in Southland Tales which was epic but that's the best scene you can, you can shut your form <laughs> yeah. out that's the yeah. best fucking scene I'm glad I've seen it I would be devastated if someone took it out but <laughs> what was that again but yeah but completely forgettable one, soundtrack it just yeah nothing whereas all the others you could name you know 
Well, I mean, Death Cab for Cutie and things like that. The Pixies in was in um, uh, Southland Tales. Like, mm-hmm. the, there is the the fantastic and Moby as well. Like, mm. he seems to, and you get you get a band like Arcade Fire that at their peak were fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Two thousand nine, when this film came out, they would have been at their peak, and it's just lifeless and forgettable. Like, there's no reason for a band that well, kind of well known in the music industry, to produce something that forgettable. And it, it was just the bad ones in the band that did it. Well, no, I think it's it's Kelly's fault. Like, clearly there's something here. This doesn't feel like a project that he's put any love into. This feels like a project that was just a paycheck. And I don't. I might be entirely wrong, but even even if we look at, like, Donnie Darko, which is a, a fantastic 80s period piece with all the 80s soundtracks and all the 80s iconography, I would look at this and think, yeah, he's put 70s, like, imagery in it, but it doesn't feel very 70s. It doesn't have that 70s air to it. it I think just... everyone loves to blame the director for everything wrong with every film ever, though, as well. And I think it's important to remember in hindsight, like... A film is hundreds of people working collaboratively to make something. I think it's hard to mm. put all of the blame and all of the success at one place. Oh, absolutely. Seat. I think where, uh, you know, I, I don't agree. I don't think it's a good film whatsoever. <laughs> but I'm just apprehensive about blaming Richard Kelly for everything wrong with the film because, you know. So this came off the back of a book, right? The box came off the, the box, back yeah. of a, a so book. The, it was originally a book by, by um, uh, Richard Matheson, yeah. So when it comes to Donnie Darko and Southland Tales... Was that based off anything that at all? That was Kelly's or was that original just, concept, Do you think yeah. that might be the issue, that he was guided by sort of, he didn't have all of his flexibility as he had with the others because he did, at the end of the day, he was taking it from yeah. a, a pre-scripted... Well, this is, I think it, and I think it's a direct response to Southland Tales because Southland Tales was such a bomb, Southland Tales was such a critical bomb and a commercial bomb that... I think this was almost his last chance. Like, right, you've got to do something safe. You've got to do mm-hmm. something pre-established. You've got to do something that isn't your normal, kooky, weird fucking self. And it shows, and it really fucking shows, because it's boring. It's The first film is, oh, this dog's pretty good on on the on the long extender yeah. lead. Oh, next film, oh, I'll just let him off the lead. He, yeah. he was great on the last one. And then he bites and a child. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, all right. You're got to get him put down. You're on a very tight lead this time. You know, and it's, it's, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. It mm. does baffle me in some ways that this was better received than Southland Tales. Uh, it had a better IMDb score, better Rotten Tomatoes score. On its it original was, release, yeah. I get it as a, as a film. It's got a start, a middle, and an end. It's a bit more of a... You can go home and then just go, oh, well, that was a film, wasn't it? <laughs> that was, that was a film. It was a more, it was a, as a package, I suppose, it was arguably better than Southland Tales and the fact that it was like, See, I you didn't need that. to read four fucking yeah, books to make sense of it. What you would expect. No, no, but yeah. I get you. No, I get you. Yeah, it's a it's a ready meal, isn't it? Where it's a movie yeah. rather than a Southland TV show. Tales yeah. is like you know you get half a recipe and you've got to figure the rest <laughs> out yourself. You know? Southland Tales, you've got to put work in. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion around Southland Tales. There's a lot of scenes that make you like think and want to discuss. But well, I think purely from an enjoyment factor, Southland Tales like massively outshines this one. As well, a think, yeah, and a three-hour film as well. It's very rare that a three-hour film. This is an hour shorter than Southland Tales and yet I felt like I was there for about four hours yeah I was like nearly but you, you hit the nail on the head Jack when you said that South Southland Tales don't get me wrong I actually really enjoyed the movie and, and obviously listened to the other episode but if it was broken up into like a series mm-hmm. if it did a, a long series it would be I reckon phenomenal it would like, be a great series and mm-hmm. then they'd ruin it by trying to do a season two and then <laughs> Richard <laughs> Kelly would have lost the plot either way I think but um, we would have got a bit more quality screen time out of it I think you know the main takeaway is the fact that I feel like it. You, you I think Jack you really really um, hit the nail on the head when you said that it's hobbited it was it's an un, it's one of those properties that should go into a category of this is unfilmable 
as is something like Watchmen, as is something like The Hobbit, and anyone can fight me on Watchmen. It's an awful version <laughs> of, the, of the of the graphic novel. Um, Strongly disagree. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you know what, Nathan? Nathan on the uh, the Pick and Mix podcast also really disagrees with that as well. Uh, it's but it should be it should be part of that that caliber of uh, of books and and uh, literature that is unfilmable. It doesn't deserve a full feature length because it's not that kind of. Story. Okay, you, Great Gatsby. <laughs> Great Gatsby. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Great Gatsby is an unfilmable, <laughs> unfilmable book. Don't you fucking it's not dare, a Hannah. Book. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go on, fight me. Great Gatsby and Of Mice and Men are about the same length. Of Mice and Men, good film. Great Gatsby, absolutely oh. abysmal. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing excites me. Nothing excited any of us. You watch Donnie Darko. You watch Southland Tales, and every scene oozes with flair, trippy visuals, interesting sound design, weird random shit, but all random shit that is cohesive in the universe it's in. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking that. Lines of I wonder what he would have done had he not added the box to the alien plot and did his own original alien story. Could yeah. that have been interesting? Do we think squash two things? Maybe wanted to do that film and just try to squash it into the film he was given or given put it in a safe. It I'm is sad maybe. though because I would I want more of him. It's it's funny you read his you read his IMDb and it goes up to the point where it goes this is being created and it's talking about the box mm-hmm. and it just stops. Yeah. There's nothing more. There's nothing else. <laughs> and it's like he just dropped off the the face of the earth. And it's a shame because both of his previous films, South and Tales, I agree, Liam is totally misunderstood. It would yep. be brilliant as a series. Yeah. I would love more on well, it. There's a reason that one got a re-release and this hasn't. Like they mm-hmm. came out very similar. This was only about a year after South and Tales came out. This film and they have that the arrow was put out. A beautiful Blu-ray edition of Southland Tales and no one has heard this was 99 pence on Amazon that's, that's <laughs> if anything tells you yeah. to, to rent not like no to buy even not even to rent um it just tells you everything you need to know it's a really sour movie as well me and Ryan picked up on the fact that nothing is very happy at any point like it's depressing mm. from beginning to end because Donnie Darko's so uplifting but no the, I, the thing is though Donnie Darko has those really tender moments yeah, like the scenes with the parents lessons, yeah, yeah. No, there's cute scenes. moments yeah. it's, it's, it's very it's melancholy Donnie Darko I would say Donnie Darko's melancholy that idea of like it's it's very sad it's very depressing but there are those moments of tenderness mm-hmm. especially with the mum like there's a really beautiful scene in Donnie Darko which we will get to soon actually I think I'm we're all kind of ready to move on from the box setting well, in the box, the challenge. Right, ready to move on from the box. last bitch. The challenge is completely unbalanced. So he comes into the the people's lives, the family's lives, destroys them. So they stop James Marsden from getting the promotion. So mm-hmm. his life went down the drain. They stopped the kid getting the free tuition for her being a teacher. So that went down the drain. Yep. And he just took away everything that they had to make them the most desperate possible, which partially forced the hand into pressing the box. It's not a fair test. So fuck I the aliens. But what, I mean, you're absolutely right, but it's it's dour. It's a dour movie from beginning to end. There's no one to root for. There's no one to feel excited or happy for. Whereas in Donnie Darko, as, as depressing as that movie can be, I remember distinctly, and I've not seen Donnie Darko in years, there's tender scenes. Like One of my very favorite scenes in Donnie Darko is where Donnie and his mum are having the conversation in Donnie's bedroom, and he asks her what it's like to have a whack job as a son, and she says it's wonderful. And it's, it's one of those really sweet like family, and that's what Donnie Darko does exceptionally. I don't think Southland Tales does that exceptionally. No. The Southland Tales is a, a, a very <laughs> different breed of film. Characterization's yeah. whack. Whereas the box just has nothing going for it. Yeah, it has when... nothing character-wise. It has nothing thematically. It has nothing really visually. Like visually, I'm looking at it and it's kind of boring. Like there's nothing. There's nothing flary about the visual style either. When you realise in Darko that he is going to have to sacrifice himself, and that he is going to die in the end, it is really upsetting. It hurts. And sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this movie, from the beginning, I was like, right, they're 
going to die. I'm ready to go. I have yeah. no hope for them. I don't think anything good's going to come out of it. They might investigate, get a few answers. They're probably going to take us on a massive rabbit hole. There'll be some weird twist at the end. Yep. It, was, it was it was bland. All of it didn't pan out. The way do you do you want to talk quickly about the women? Because you haven't had your chance to talk about the the I, female kind of the misogyny, perhaps. I don't I don't know if it is. I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know if it was maybe a tangent that I just didn't it, quite get. But yeah, why was it that it was always a couple and it was always the woman that pressed the yeah, button? We saw three examples of the women uh-huh. of of someone pressing the button in the film, and it was always women, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It feels like something about oh yeah, women are like the hyper emotional ones who care for the family the most, and like they'll be thinking about all the suffering that we just jokingly went both in the kids yeah me and I both just suddenly went bitches am I right <laughs> that's how it feels right. it, it feels like that really fucking outdated tasteless oh women eh you know yeah, what are they like what are women like eh? he was scorned before going yeah, into this film like, or something James Marsden was like it's like oh yeah no I, I don't need to press the box I'm not interested in a million dollars it's probably fake let's not really even think about it what Cameron our- Diaz is there obsessing every second of the day over it it's so unrealistic what does R. Kelly have against women? R. Kelly. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Just disclaimer, Richard Kelly has never pissed on a woman before. That that know. Know. <laughs> um, I'm ready to give some final thoughts on this really quickly. I have just one sentence to fucking sum it up. It's a film without any identity, personality, or soul. That's pretty much it. Pretty much. Don't fucking bother. James Marsden's highlights with the nipples. Oh yeah, there was a scene where James Marsden's nipples were on show, and that was all. That was all right for me. I was okay with that. He's a he is a sexy man. Like, like come he is, on, he is he a is. sexy man. Yeah, that and it's yeah, it's not worth the ninety nine p, guys. It's not Don't worth ninety nine p. Nah, nah. Go but watch the other two and forget he made a third go film. Twix and keep the change. Wait, what? <laughs> oh yeah, it's like, no. wait, what? Come on. <laughs> Wait, it, Twix it, and keep the change. You're better off than paying 99 pence for the movie. Oh right, I didn't know how much Twixes were. How much? How much is a Twix? Ten dollars. Less, less than 99 p. <laughs> <Upper> class. <laughs> I'm, just thinking, Twix. I'm just thinking the Arrested Development quote. They're like, it's it's one banana, Michael. How much could it be? Ten dollars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's shit. Don't watch it. Now, moving swiftly on to a much, much better film that I'm actually really excited to talk about. Let's talk about Donnie Darko. Do we just let you monologue for the next 20 minutes? I is mean, that I, the idea? I'm going out. Yeah. Chuck is taking his, <laughs> yeah, taking a break. Um, no, I, you guys have actually watched this more recently than us. Like, I've not seen this in about a year. I didn't think I needed a rewatch because I've seen this about 30 times. And I'm like, I think it's pretty well cemented in my mind. Um, as a, the newest, because Jack, you're probably the newest convert to this. Yeah, what we, do you think? I hadn't seen it uh, up until we came to watch Southland Tales and I had to review it. Uh, thank you for making me watch three films this week. You're very way, welcome. As I mentioned, <laughs> as I, mentioned I think, last week. Cheers for making me watch very three welcome. films, you dick. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I did really enjoy this film. Uh, it was well shot. It was well acted. The audio design was really good and lended itself to the film really nicely. Lots of good choice um, audio tracks. The soundtrack's said, gorgeous. Kind of mm-hmm. supplement the film in some way or, like, you know, add something to yeah. it rather than yeah. just being there for the sake filler, of it. you know, as it is often the case in a lot of films where it's just there to build a little bit of tension. It, it, it feels like it was a part of the film, the soundtrack, rather mm-hmm. than just being yeah. fluff. Um, genuinely enjoyed the, the plot and the narrative and you're left with questions at the end because, you know, it's it's quite ambiguous, the ending. You know he dies and was it appears to be his choice. 
And we watched the director's cut as well. Which you shouldn't have. No, not the director's cut, sorry. The, the one that we the should have watched. Cut. The theatrical we are, cut. We're going to get into the disparaging differences between the theatrical. But let's let Jack finish his yeah, point. Because, there. no, I think that's why we had so many questions. But in Which a is good what way. The point is, yeah. 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 Is the theatrical yeah. cut a bit more ambiguous no, and a bit the more. The director's cut explains every single like fucking thing. Oh, oh, and it's bullshit. Because we watched a bit of an explained video afterwards just to see all the different theories that people came about with. And we saw a load of scenes. Yeah, that we yeah, that we'd never seen. and they were. It's in one the of the very cut. rare cases where the director's cut is immeasurably worse. Is it the opposite of Blade Runner? Yes, it's literally rather than yeah. Because like the first time I saw Blade Runner, I saw the Ridley Scott director's cut when it first came out in the. There's about seven cuts of that film. I can't remember. <laughs> it was like the most recent one because I remember yeah. going saying it like it must have been maybe six years ago or so, maybe seven or eight years. Yeah, ago. no longer than that though. Uh, but that was like you know. I'm, I'm so glad I waited because that was just superb and I didn't even know of the fucking horrific Han Solo oh, the voiceover Han Solo Harrison Ford <laughs> monologue, monologue over the top of it where he's basically just spelling out everything yeah. as the subtlety and the having to make your own kind of mind up about yeah. certain events is part of the charm isn't it absolutely yeah. it's why books are better than film because there's an element of interpretation that's mm-hmm. left up to you sometimes which you don't get in film typically Mm-hmm. Oh no, absolutely! And uh, would if if anyone's not seen any darker, which at this point, yeah, definitely get on that. Always go for the theatrical cut. Most of the Blu-rays come with both cuts, um, kind of slapped on the disc. Always go for the theatrical cut if you don't want your first only darker experience to be ruined. It's interesting seeing the different kind of perspectives that we both have on this because obviously, Jack, you watched it quite recently as an adult. First time I watched this, I was fourteen year old. It was the I would credit it as the film that got me into film criticism and film kind of thinking as film. Um, got me into film criticism. Well, I that was would, shit. <laughs> <laughs> absolute shite no but that, that idea of like thinking about films kind of sub- subtextually rather than just watching it and enjoying it it's that it's that difference between like an active watcher and a passive watcher a uh, passive audience even um this is the kind of film that may be an active viewer uh, someone who wanted to kind of discuss films discuss themes discuss meaning everything like that it, it does appeal to that kind of certain group of teenagers i think um if you were like kind of curious cynical maybe a little pretentious as a teenager donnie darko probably well, you said it. well i mean i am <laughs> donnie darko probably still means a lot to you um i definitely am all of those things it was and especially kind of watching it back as an adult it's one of those films that hasn't is is aged wonderfully you often wonder like how how well is the kind of films that i love as a child aged it's it's still a fantastic film and it spawned a lot of kind of copycat films as well you think about things like the butterfly effect and and another earth and and uh, brick as well the one that came out a few years after it kind of birthed this genre of cult teen films i think almost do you think it allowed for people to make films that didn't always have to have a clear cut this is how it goes this is the plot this is what this is this is what that is you can make your own interpretation of it like i don't think it was the first film to do that but i think it was another reminder that it's financially viable and Mm. you know as as a career it's not going to be career suicide to attempt a film like that yeah. It's, he's, not, it's, he's not created a new genre of film or anything like that, but he has re- reminded... It's a good template for it. He's reminded think, yeah. of us, I think, that you can get away with it and still make a commercial success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or at least for one film, anyway. You really, know? really quick. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen Donnie Darko at this point, I will just give you a quick synopsis. You should have seen Donnie Darko. Story of a teenager. He narrowly escapes his own death with the help of an imaginary friend called Frank the Bunny. Oh, who's... help. He helps him um, as the plot kind of unravels for there there's a lot of themes of time travel uh, fate sacrifice I do not want to spoil it if you haven't seen it because it is a perfect it's a perfect kind of it's a good gateway into those kind of art house underground teenage, teenage films and you know what it's a 
what it doesn't get enough credit for is how wonderfully it balances it on its ensemble cast. Like you watch films these days, you watch a lot of like big budget Hollywood films who have these like really heavy ensemble casts. Obviously, you've got Drew, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in it. You've got Maggie Gyllenhaal. You've got uh, Drew Barrymore was kind of the big get, and she I know for mm-hmm. a fact she was so excited to do the project. Patrick Swayze's in it, and it's mm-hmm. it's such a good kind of example of how to, to handle an ensemble cast because no one feels like they get underused. No one feels like they don't have enough screen time. It all seamlessly kind of is etched together in this perfect package for me. They handle some rather big issues, like the whole Patrick yeah. Swayze timeline. Again, yeah. I don't know how much we want to spoil for if anyone's not right. like sort we'll of... We'll put like a little spoiler alert. Like 40 yeah. years. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen any Dark Horse, skip forward uh, about like five, ten minutes. But I mean, the high <laughs> prayers that were still wanting to be careful just in case. Well, that's, that's how it. good the movie is. Yeah. No, but they do. They, they hit on some pretty big themes and I think they do it really well. So with the Patrick Swayze stuff and him coming out as uh, obviously a, a paedophile and things like that, but then well, towards... Patrick Swayze is not a paedophile. Oh, the latest Patrick yeah. Swayze. Stop defaming Patrick Swayze. <laughs> the character was a pedophile. Yes. Yes. Pedophile. I don't know. We have some American listeners. I'm just trying to cater to them. Oh, yeah. Pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right, so I'm just going to summarize this really quickly. Right well, on that. Right, move on. But no, it was. It was It was done exceedingly well. It hit some other big themes, like the teacher who wants them to think that you can only be within the emotions of fear and love. Mm-hmm. And Mental you, you know, a binary scale. Exactly, yeah. yeah and it, it hits on those really well. Liam, you were mentioning Well, like, obviously, Drew Barrymore's character as well, the teacher who uh, teaches Graham Greene to the children, the, the, the idea of censorship and, and, and not being able to kind of teach certain certain books because of their, their effect on children whatever, whatever that is the- sorry that just reminded me I remember reading an article recently it was it was this happened ages ago yeah um, that some state school tried to ban Fahrenheit 451 fuck that and then they realised they were like ne- the they, they, were gonna, the they were going to do it and everything like that until someone pointed out you're, you're censoring a book about censorship yeah <laughs> <laughs> you do realise you do like you are aware of how fucking stupid you are. Which like is that, just, right? I, I know obviously this isn't about books, but one of the best books yeah, out there. If you, there. If you have Fahrenheit, not read please it, do. please do. That is like irony squared, isn't it? Like fucking yeah. hell, like what the actual fuck? <laughs> You're right though, it's it's a very, it's a staggering film, not only because it's it's a disorientingly brilliant sci-fi epic, because it is. You, you, you can, the thing is, you could, you could extract all of the science fiction elements from it and still have a mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful, family drama and teen drama and coming of age drama as well it's a beautiful period piece like the, the, it, you're right with all the soundtracks is like Tears for Fears Echo and the Bunnymen Ooh, it's a yeah, wonderful 80s period piece as well it works on as a science fiction film it works as a teenage mm-hmm. drama and it works as a period piece it's very rare you get a film that Frank's works on so many on different game, levels <laughs> yeah. in defense of the box it did well to make the 70s period set drama like every, like the set dressing it was and beautiful yeah. it was don't very... defend that film no but <laughs> I was talking about it. as a period piece because remember it was 2009 but it was done in the 70s you know it was yeah. shot well as a period piece like you know like the uniforms and everything looked like Mm. It it looked nothing, looked out, nothing looked out of place. <laughs> well done, you the bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> I just, again, like, yeah, Hannah, sorry? But I think Donnie Darko does show that you can do a film with all these different tangents and all these different storylines and it doesn't have to be overwhelming they can work yeah. seamlessly and he did it's a very focused like single like narrative like mm-hmm. it's got a very it all orbits around Donnie doesn't it he's yeah. like the centre of the universe in this story and I think that's why it works where Southland Tales is like fucking it should have been a TV it's show like, it's like herding cats isn't it yeah. there's two yeah. going on at once brilliant cats but they're but everywhere I wonder how much of that obviously you compare the theatrical cut to the director's cut the theatrical cut is the version where the, the, the studio got involved edited it the fuck down and was like right you've got to take this out you've got to take this out 
this, the director's cut is is Richard Kelly going is R Kelly sorry going nuts <laughs> and do and, and doing whatever he wants and that version is the version that sucks. So how much of this mm. is does Richard Kelly just clearly need an editor to and tell him just, when to fucking yeah, stop? You can't edit the box better. Is that not indicative <laughs> of the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, fantastic today. mind, but needs a bit needs a rain in. Yeah, yeah. Just, just chill out, dude. <laughs> I, I would like to see more films from this. Is the the takeaway the biggest takeaway I want to get from this point five is I would like to see more Richard Kelly made projects because the guy is clearly very intelligent sorry mm-hmm. R. Kelly <laughs> I do. no because if I want if I say that I want to see more stuff from R. Kelly I'm going to get cancelled <laughs> yeah give him a good editor and set him away with budget I'd that's be happy it that. that's it um, I'm happy to do some final thoughts on, on Donnie Darko because it, it is just a wonderful film. It's one of those films that I think will be remembered in 100 years' time as one of the biggest... <laughs> Sorry, Jack just, disagrees. No, I'm just laughing because I was thinking R. Kelly's a real outside-of-the-box filmmaker, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm done. I couldn't... I just laughed at my own joke no, before I said out loud and that's a proper dad thing. We haven't even spoke really about Frank. <laughs> Frank the Bunny? At all, yeah. yeah. I, he's an iconic movie... I don't want to say he's a monster because he's not. He's an iconic movie image, though, that... that mm-hmm. Um, giant bunny rabbit. I had a, I had I a Halloween costume. The, movie, the DVD case is Frank the Bunny's head. Yeah, and I remember seeing that and being like, "Oh, that looks." Fucking he freaked cool. me the fuck out. Yeah, as a child. that is I was how you do creepy. Yeah. I was I was far too young to be watching this film. I think I was I was probably younger than thirteen. Actually, I think I was like maybe eleven, twelve. Snuck down uh, middle of the night, watched it because my sister had it on DVD. No, no. Uh, it would be VHS at this point, <laughs> um, and it terrified the fuck out of me. I remember having nightmares. It's a fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic psychological thriller whereas the box clearly as a, as a failed psychological thriller do you remember paying 200 pounds for Frank's costume I do I had it was <laughs> Halloween University sort of like 20, 2014 or something like that I bought a Frank the Bunny costume it for Halloween awesome. it looked amazing it but I was I was so wet I was sweating through the fucking costume. It was the most uncomfortable experience. And I was like, nah, I'll just strip down. I'll just, I think I stripped down my underwear. I was like, that, that's, that, that'll do it. Halloween over, not having fun anymore. Um, Donnie Darko is a trippy science fiction mind bender. It's a darkly funny look at life of a weird teenager in a comically exaggerated riff on upper class white suburbia as well. It's just fantastic. That felt like I was like NBR or something. I was reading that from my script. Um, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. Watch it. When when the next opportunity you get, there's a beautiful Arrow edition of that as well. Definitely have a look for it and, and stick it on. Not the director's cut. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, if that's it, has anyone got anything else they want to add? Is that good? I mean, don't all speak up at once. <laughs> I've got Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt your monologue. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I do have a few thanks to give because we've been getting such a wonderful reaction on uh, Instagram specifically uh, from a lot of people who have loved the podcast, been listening to the podcast. And I've got a few thanks just to give out them a little uh, shameless, shameless plug. For, so yeah, uh, Tom Allen on Instagram, Tipsy Flicks, one of our absolute favorite accounts who does a lot of beer pairings. If you haven't followed him yet, please do. Uh, I think it's Tipsy under, underscore Flicks on Instagram. Uh, Real Creepy Encounters is a wonderful podcast that's starting very shortly. Um, she's fantastic. She's given us a lot of help when we got started. Mr. VHS, uh, Brittany Wilder, The Bear Hook Club with my friend Greg Wilson, who was on last episode. Uh, Ed Cooks, um, the boys at the Warm Tin podcast that we will... Cooks what? I don't know. Food? (laughs) (laughs) The boys at the Warm Tin podcast as well, who we should be having a collaboration with in the future. Fingers crossed. So you'll be able to hear them very shortly. Rodney Wilder... Um, Danny Darko which I appreciated he's a fantastic film collector I know the Painted Trash podcast and Spiritually Sexy as well fantastic people on Instagram please do give them a look Um, next week we will be covering our 
when we go back to superheroes for a little bit, we'll be covering Cat, the Halle Berry 2004 Catwoman. Wow. How are you specifically very excited for? I've not seen since I was a kid. So I I'm know this is going to be a Van Helsing thing again. It, it, like, literally, this was described by someone as a Van Helsing with a lesser budget. Oh, I'm still excited. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> Just out of interest, is there a single good cat film? Cats and Dogs. No, it's shit. Cats um, and Dogs was a great film. It was good for kids. <laughs> Is um, Garfield any good? No. No. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm far too old to enjoy I mean, Garfield. If you go yeah. like, like right back at like old horror films, Cat People is like one of the classic horror films. It's fantastic. Skinwalkers, there's like a Stephen King adaptation. <gasps> I think it's a, it's a, not a very good film, but it's an entertaining one. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. They, no, they're cat, cat people. Film. No, they're cat people. They're cat people. Yeah, they're cat people. The cat people. Cats aren't a focal point yeah, of the film. The dog is a focal point of the film. Oh, there's cat people. I think <laughs> the film is named after a dog. Thematically, cats are losing in the in, against dogs, <laughs> yeah. and we need more really good cat films. Um, we yeah, just do check us out if you haven't yet on Instagram at Bad Taste Buds Pod, on Twitter at Bad Taste Buds Pod, and Facebook at Bad Taste Buds Podcast. And as always, you can find us at BadTasteBuds.com. Until next time, guys, stay boxy. <laughs> no, let's try that again. Life lesson learned. And don't push any buttons. Any. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>